you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word and look at Acts 15 together. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day that you've created. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather together as your people, to be able to sing your praises, to to hear from your word, to to spend time looking at it together. And uh, as we do, we just ask that you would lead and guide our time, that you would be our teacher, that you'd be the one that reveals uh, your word to us. We just confess that we cannot do this on our own. And so we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you'd take the eternal truth of your word and that you would apply them to us today, that we would leave here changed, having seen you more clearly, seeing your great glory uh, and your grace to us. And so we ask that that would be the case as we spend time in your word today. Uh, We pray that you'd be honored and be glorified by everything that is done and said here this morning. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, if you look uh, in your bulletin, you know, I'll often have to give a, a title of what the sermon will be, and I usually have to give it a few days before I'm ready to give it. <laughs> and so I, if I could, I would change it uh, to pick your battles. Uh, I don't know if you ever say that. Uh, I say that a lot in my house. Uh, maybe you hear, it's funny, as I was thinking about this this week, I actually heard a couple people say it. Uh, we say that phrase a lot, and I think you know what I mean. Uh, I think of it in terms of with my children when I say pick your battles. Uh, I have a six-year-old uh, that is hilarious uh, and very absent-minded and very hard to focus sometimes. And uh, it is a minor miracle if he gets up and dresses himself. Um, but occasionally it happens, but when it does uh, usually he emerges with um, maybe 50% of the time forgetting his underwear. Uh, about 50% of the time his shorts are on backwards. Uh, a lot of times it's like a, a maroon shirt with like blue and orange shorts. Uh, something kind of like that. And so when he comes out and he's excited that I've done this and look, I've dressed myself, it's where that comes in your mind. You've got to pick your battles. You're kind of like, ah, are we going to address the travesty of fashion this is? Or are we going to go, way to go, buddy. Good job. Like, now, I, I will usually make sure he has underwear on and I'll turn his shorts around if they are backwards. But then you kind of just go, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to pick that battle, right? But the same absent-minded little boy, whenever we go to the store, I always go and help him get out of his seat and I take him by the hand, and sometimes he goes, no, 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 I don't need to hold your hand. I say, yes, you do. That is a battle I pick, right? The same absent-minded child that easily gets distracted, I'm not going to let him walk through the parking lot on his own because he's about this tall, and he doesn't really pay attention around of his surroundings. And so where his absent-mindedness may not matter so much in the clothes he picks, when we're walking through a parking lot, that's really important. And so I take him by the hand and I keep him close to me because uh, that's one where his absent mindedness could lead to him getting run over by a car or seriously injured. And so that is a battle that I pick. I say, no, 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 you are going to hold my hand in the parking lot. And there's a lot of others that we do in our house, uh, speaking respectfully to his mother, <laughs> uh, saying our prayers, these different things that we do. Those are battles that I'm going to pick. But there's some things that we kind of let slide. And so when I say that, when we, we know that phrase and we talk about it, we pick our battles, the things that are truly important. When we get to Acts chapter 15, what you see is something that's so foundational to our belief of what we believe as Christians that we see Paul and Barnabas and then the apostles together coming together. And it's a battle they're going to pick. It's a battle that they're going to say, no, 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 no. This is something that we have to address. 
It is something that is absolutely foundational. It's a theological uh, right at the very heart of everything we believe. But it's also uh, connects to our lives in the way that we live. Uh, I, I don't know if you think about it. Sometimes we, we talk about theological closed handed issues. If you've ever heard that, we say that sometimes. And what we mean are things that the Bible is so clear about that are so foundational to what we believe that these are not issues that we go, it's okay if you believe this or this. This is what we have to hold to because it's what Scripture says. And so this is one of those issues that we're going to come to. But what I would like to submit to you this morning is that those are closed handed issues and they're so important because the implications are so far reaching. They have implications on our security, our identity, the way we seek approval, the way we uh, operate with one another, the way we care for each other. All of this comes back to this issue that we're going to look at this morning. And it is so foundational, important. It's one that we say this is a battle that we would pick. And that's exactly what we see them doing in Acts chapter 15. And so if you've been with us, we're working our way through Acts We're now up to chapter 15. Acts takes place from A.D. 30 to about 63 A.D. That period as the church grows. 30 A.D. being when Jesus is uh, raised from the dead and then he ascends to heaven. And before he does, he gives the command to go make disciples of all nations. And Acts chronicles that happening. As the gospel goes out and we see it going out to new places and new people. And they're hearing the gospel and they're coming to faith. And we see this all the way through Acts. When we get to Acts chapter 15, the gospel has crossed all these different thresholds. Gentiles are becoming believers. Gentiles being non-Jewish, non-religious people that are now coming to faith in Jesus. And they're becoming part of the church. And so what we have in Acts chapter 15 is what we often refer to as the Jerusalem Council. And it takes place 48 or 49 AD. So almost kind of in the middle of the timeline of Acts. And they get together to talk about what does it look like for Jewish Christians to now live their faith? And how do we integrate these Gentiles who come from very different backgrounds? And how do we all live together as one in Jesus? And so they're they're wrestling with some of these ideas that come up. But the problem is there's some people who jump up and they go, aha, we've got the answer. And they give an answer that's absolutely the opposite of the gospel. It's the opposite of the good news of what Jesus has done and the way God has revealed himself. And that's where the line becomes drawn. That's where the battle gets picked. And they go, no, 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 that's not it. That's not the answer. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And this is the way I want us to look at as we do. They're wrestling with all sorts of different things here and how all this comes together. But what they tell us, this this issue that comes up is completely a problem. And so this is what I want us to do. One, I want us to look at the problem we're having, what this group was suggesting that's wrong. Secondly, I want us to consider why it's the opposite of the gospel. Why it is so important that Paul and Barnabas are ready to throw down over this, right? It says they're ready uh, to fight over this issue. And and you see the church take that up and you see Peter come alongside them and you see James and they're all going to say, no, 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 that's not the gospel. And so we're going to look at why that is the case. And then lastly, I want us to consider how we avoid making the same mistake today. Because what I'm going to submit to you as we go through it, we're not making it in the exact same way they are, but we have the same issue come up all the time. So let's consider what the problem is, uh, why it's the opposite of the gospel, and then how we can avoid it. So let's just start with considering the problem that they had. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. 
unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas, uh, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so they, they, they go up about this question to talk about it. It says they had a problem with what they were saying. And so I want you to look at what they were saying there in verse 2. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then they go up to Jerusalem to have this discussion. And it gets restated again by some people in Jerusalem. And they say it in verse 5 this way. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so it's a restatement of almost the same thing. But here's the problem of what they were doing. We could distill it down to its most basic argument is that they were adding a performance condition to salvation. They were saying, no, 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 you you don't just believe in Jesus. And it's not just what Christ has done for you, but you also have to be circumcised. And and then they would state it a little differently in Jerusalem as they they get together that you have to keep the law of Moses and you have to adopt this Jewishness and live this way. And so if we just summarize that, if we kind of make that to its most basic foundational thing that they were dealing with is they are adding a performance condition to salvation. And so the problem that we have here is that they're grossly misinterpreting the whole point of the Bible. And I don't think I'm understating that to say it that way. Right. And I want to be careful because this is a very difficult time, a transitionary time of where they're trying to understand the old covenant, the Old Testament with the new covenant and Jesus and how he's brought fulfillment of that. And they're trying to work these things out. And so sometimes we can be so hard on them and be like, what is wrong with them? That's not the gospel at all. But remember, in the midst of this, they're trying to work that out. And so we want to kind of be gracious to them in that sense as they're trying to work that out. But what they're saying is that they're allowing other things other than the finished work of Jesus to add to our salvation. And in this case, circumcision. And so when we start to look at the problem that's there is it's taking Jesus and moving him from the center, the good news of what God has done from Jesus. He's only part and we've got to add some other things to it. Now, if you've been around Church of the Apostles at all, if you visited our website, if you go through our new member class, if you're in a community group, any of those things that we do, you'll hear us say we want to be a gospel centered church. Right. That's on our our website and on all those things. And we talk about that a lot. And what we mean is we want to see everything through the lens of the completed work of Jesus, the good news of what Christ has done and how it affects everything. And and what we see here is they're missing the heart of that. They're beginning to add other things to it. It's not all Jesus. Jesus is not the complete fulfillment of everything, but you need to add these other things to it as well. And so uh, when we stop and think about it, we can go, well, yeah, okay, I see that. They're saying you have to be circumcised to be saved. That's a problem. But if we're honest, I doubt anyone here has come up against that. Has anyone ever told you as you think about becoming a Christian or you come to the church that you have to be circumcised to be saved? Probably not. I would guess that's probably not something that you've heard. But what I want you to consider is that we do the same thing a lot. Depending on the church you grew up in, uh, maybe your age, 
maybe just a whole lot of different factors. Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all, and maybe it was just your perception of the church. But what often happens is we begin to add some unwritten rules of what a true Christian looks like. We may not expressly say, to be saved, you have to have this, but it often gets put across that way at different times. That saddens me even to say it. But, but when I first started here, there were a few people that, that decided to leave after, but they would have said the way you dress is part of that. And if you don't dress a certain way, then you're not really a good person, a good Christian. I actually had people tell me that. I actually had people when I gave them the explanation as to why that's not the case. They went, that's fine, we'll leave. That's a real thing. Or, or maybe you grew up in a church where it was the way that you, uh, not just the clothes you wore, but maybe it was the translation of the Bible that you use, right? Uh, in this area of the country, that's actually a thing that comes up a lot. Real Christians read a certain translation. And I'll give you a hint, it's not the one in our pews. And I'm not trying to make light. The translation and God's word is important. I'm not saying that at all. But when we start to add these things to this is what it really looks like to be saved. It means this plus this it means this plus a certain closer. It means this plus a certain version of the Bible or it means this plus certain politics or it means this plus your view on alcohol or your view on tattoos or your views on R rated movies. And those are all things that I've seen in my life. That a real Christian would see these things this way. And we may not expressly say it's Jesus plus no R-rated movies. But that becomes the implication. That you are saved by Jesus plus these other things. And that's exactly what they were dealing with here. Now I want to be careful how I say that. With the people here and what I've seen in my own life. Most people I know are well-intentioned in that. They're adding conditions or they're putting things on it because they go, well, that's, yeah, that's what a good Christian does. And that's a good thing. And that doesn't mean they're even wrong on the way they're seeing certain things. But is that how we're saved? Right to their point here. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Is that true? And the truth is, and it's why Paul and Barnabas stand up and go, uh, no, wait a second. Is that's not true. We are saved by what Christ has done alone. And if we add anything to it, we begin to add anything else to it. It's no longer fully what Jesus has done and his grace for us, but it's Christ plus some other things. And this goes to the very foundation of everything we believe. Our identity now becomes Christ plus some other things. Instead of Christ alone. And that's exactly what was happening here. Yeah, that's fine. You believe in Jesus. That's great. But now you need to be Jewish and you need to look this way. And they started to add things to it. And we can do the same thing a lot. And we do that a lot. We even do that within churches. My church is better because we do it X than that church over there. And the reason we do it is we create an us versus them to make me feel better. But I want you to understand why that is the, the opposite of the gospel, why that's a problem. 
Because we've taken Jesus and instead of making him the central thing, Christ alone, by grace alone, faith alone, and it's all Jesus, we've added some other things to it. And that's exactly what they were doing here. And that's the problem that we see. And when we talk about uh, picking our battles, this is the battle that we pick. We go, absolutely. It's no longer Christ alone. It's no longer fully through him and nothing else. And this is very important, not just within the church, but within our culture uh, uh, in a broader sense. I've never, I'm not that old. I just turned 40 last year. But in my life, I've never seen a division like we have in our country right now. And I've never seen this thing where it's like uh, trumpeted as a good thing to shame other people. Like if I think this and you think this, you're wrong, you're the them and we're the us. And now I'm going to shame you and I'm going to tell you how bad and how aggressive and how awful you are. And so we add these conditions to our identity so we can look down on other people. And that's the opposite of what God is like. That is the opposite of the gospel that we proclaim. And so this is a problem not only in Paul's day. Not only in the early church some 2,000 years ago, but we're dealing with the same things today. And so the problem we have here is they're seeing faith plus something else. And it leads to getting your identity from that. It leads to all sorts of problems. And so here's where I want us to consider why this is so opposite of the gospel. I want us to consider why. Look at what they do in verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas, and after that, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. That's a really polite way of saying they had a big argument, right? I mean, that's what happened. They heard that and they went, oh, wait a second. This is a battle we're going to pick. This is absolute of importance. You cannot say you're saved by faith in Christ plus anything. And so they go to battle with them and they begin to tell them that that cannot be the case. And so when we pick our battles, this is one that we pick. And so as we start to look at what unfolds here, look at what Peter says as they get together. So they all come together in Jerusalem to consider this matter because it's of such importance. And so pick up with me in verse six. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And just so we're clear, the Gentiles are non uh, Jewish people. They're not religious. They're just uh, Greek speaking. They're of the culture. And so it was just a way to divide them out. And so he's talking about basically everyone that's not Jewish. And he said, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And the assembly fell silent. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, God has showed me that the gospel is for the Gentiles and I've gone and I've preached the gospel and I've proclaimed it and tons have come to faith. 
thousands upon thousands. And God has blessed them with the Holy Spirit. And what Peter's saying in a very real way is that none of them have become Jewish. And none of them were circumcised and none of them changed any of these things. They just heard the good news of what Christ has done and they believed it and God poured out the Holy Spirit on them. The end. And he's saying, how can you say they've got to do these other things to be saved when you've already seen what God's done? And so Peter's telling them, no, 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 that's not the case. Now, some scholars believe that this lines up with the book of Galatians. If you've ever read the book of Galatians, Paul spends the whole letter unfolding this very idea that you're saved by faith in Christ alone. I I was reading with some guys who were studying Galatians 3 this week. And I'm not going to go into all that right now, but I would just say to you, go read Galatians 3 this week in light of this sermon. Because what Paul does in Galatians 3 is he makes the exact same argument that Peter makes in verses 6 through 10, and he expounds on it. And he says the same things. Oh, you foolish Galatians, you've begun this work. The Spirit has come. Why do you think you now have to keep all these laws to be saved? Don't you see God has already done this work? And it's the same thing that he's showing them here. I mean, if you follow his reasoning, he says the Gentiles have received the same Holy Spirit that the Jews have. You see that in verse eight. Uh, In verse nine, he tells you how they received it. They were cleansed of their hearts by faith. And so then he says, why would you put this burden on them of the law and think that they're going to be saved that way? He said, you haven't been able to do it and neither have I. Why would you think that? And so what Peter is emphatically saying, and he does, he says it very clearly in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. He says we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. It's the only way this works. And this is the the issue where we say, I'm going to pick this battle. It has to be the grace of God and what he's done for us in Jesus and nothing else. The gospel, what we say is good news. The good news is that God has done what we could never do for us, which is exactly what Peter says there. Why are you placing a burden on people of something that they can't do themselves? That you know you couldn't do yourself. That Jesus has now come and done for us. Why would you go back to that? He says it's all Christ. And so it's so important that we hold to that distinctive because this is the most important part of our faith. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has ignored God over and over again. And we can never be perfect. We can never uh, hold to his law perfectly in and of ourselves. And so Jesus comes and does what we could never do for us. And then he gives it to us by grace. And they were going, no, 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 it's not just grace. It's grace plus. He says, no, that can never be. And so he continues to show them. And I want you to think about how important this is. He said the phrase, pick your battles. This is the battle. This is the one you pick. And you may say, yes, I believe that. And I know many of you do. And you're clinging to Christ and faith. And you say, it's all Jesus. And it's all him. Thank God that it is. But I want you to think about your heart, even a heart check this morning in the ways that maybe you're starting to add other things to it. Do you ever say or ever think 
or, or just even in your mind, I, I really hope I'm saved. Or do you ever think, man, I really hope God is pleased with me. Or I hear people that I profess to be believers and they say I'm a Christian and they say, uh, I'm getting closer to death and it's kind of scary. And I say, why is it scary? I hope God lets me in. And I ask the question, do you think that Jesus didn't do enough? Did he not fully? And I go, no, 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 he did. I know he did. I say, well, what's the problem? I just don't know about me. You know, I hope I've done enough. Do you see how that's adding faith plus? Instead of clinging completely to the cross of Christ and what he's done on your behalf, we begin to, and we kind of put it out there like we're being really pious. I hope I've done enough. But that's operating in unbelief that Christ hasn't done at all. And so we, with Paul and with Barnabas and with Peter and with James, we say, no, 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 it's all Jesus. We say, verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. See, when it's grace plus something, it's no longer grace. It's not Jesus does 90% and then you do the last 10%. It's not Jesus does 99 and you do one. As soon as we start to add to it, we're no longer resting in the finished work of Christ. And this is of the utmost importance. So much so that they give an entire chapter to this idea. And they say, no, 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 it's all Christ. It's Christ alone. And so they go through this whole thing and they, as, as they convene in Jerusalem, Peter speaks and he tells how they've been saved despite these other things. It's all Christ. And then Paul and Barnabas, they stand up and they give testimony and they talk about how the spirit has come and people are being saved and it's happened and it doesn't have anything to do with them keeping the law of Moses or being circumcised or doing any of the old covenant. He says, no, no, they're saved. Right? And then James stands up and he says the same thing. And he says, you know what? The Old Testament has said this all along. That God was going to call all people to himself. And it's always going to be what he was doing through the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. And so they come to this conclusion. Yes, it's all Jesus. It's all the gospel. It's all clinging to faith in Christ and what he's done. But then we get to the end here of this passage and then they give them some practical things that they think the Gentiles should do. And I want us to think about how we take that. Because there's an important piece to this. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But then what becomes of obedience in the way we live? And so James says to them, I think there's some practical things that we should tell them to do. Look at verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so he says, here's some practical wisdom. I think we should write him a letter and tell him it would be good for them to follow these things. Right? And so that's what they do. They write the letter and they send it and they send it off to them and they say, here's the things that we think you should uh, not partake in. And this is the way it should look. So I want you to think about what they told them to do. The first is they say to not eat 
or abstain from things polluted by idols. And then they say, and from that that has been strangled and from blood. And so they're talking about kind of kosher laws of the way you did food. And then they're talking about idol worship and the things that were sacrificed to idols, meat offered to idols. And this comes up in Paul's epistles at different times. And so what are they talking about? Does it mean to be saved that you can never eat meat offered to an idol? Is that what they're saying? No, I don't think so. In fact, Paul will kind of make the argument that that's not the case elsewhere. But he says they shouldn't do that. And let's not eat things that are strangled or still have the blood in them. Talking about the way that you would prepare the meat that you're eating. But then he tells you why. And I want you to see the connection here. It's not something that they're saying to be saved, you have to do these things. But they're giving some practical wisdom on how to be obedient and how to live together as a church. Remember, this is Jews and Gentiles coming together as one church in Jesus. And he tells you why. Verse 21, for the for from ancient generations, Moses has been has had in every city those who proclaim him for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Why would he tell him not to do those two things? He's trying to promote unity among the body. He knows that that would be really offensive to Jewish people if the Gentiles come into the church and they're just eating all these things that the Jews don't eat. And he knows that it would be uh, a stumbling block to some if they started eating meat offered to idols. And they say, so it's our thinking that you should just stay away from those things. Don't do that. And he tells you why for the unity together. And so I want you to think about how that magnifies the gospel if we put it in its proper context. Think about the image there of dying to yourself and putting others before you. Even though you have the freedom to do some of those things, they're not going to do them for the sake of those others in the body. Do you see the connection to the gospel? I'll give you a hint. Philippians chapter 2. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and taking the form of a servant, being in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How do we show people what God's like within the church and within the world? We humble ourselves and we die to ourselves and we serve and love and care for others. Overwhelmingly, I don't usually drink alcohol. I actually think I have the freedom to drink alcohol if I want to, as long as I'm not drunk. I think that's what the Bible teaches. If you disagree with that, we can talk about that later. That's okay. But you know why I don't? I have a whole lot of friends that are in recovery. And I go, you know what? It's probably not helpful. It's probably not a good thing. That doesn't mean that you can't drink alcohol. It doesn't mean that you don't have that freedom in Christ, but it means that I want to die to myself and not be a stumbling block to my brothers and sisters in Jesus. So just, it's an easy one. I don't really like alcohol anyway, so that's pretty easy for me. So. But when we come to these things that we talk about, the things that we add to the gospel, there are things that we're going to choose not to do for that purpose. It doesn't mean that it's part of our salvation. It doesn't mean that you don't have the freedom to do some of these things. But oftentimes we choose to humble ourselves for the sake of others. 
Paul makes that argument. Weaker brother, stronger brother. If I'm going to make my brother stumble by doing this, then I just won't do it. Do you see how that shows what God's like? Who humbled himself to the point of laying down his life for us. We get to show what God's like in doing that. It's not a condition of our salvation. It's because of who we now are in Christ. We are his. I see all that I am as his. And so I want to honor him with my body in that way. And I want to love those around me in that way. But if you look closely, you notice he tells them those two things. But then he also says, and abstain from sexual immorality. Does that mean that's optional? No, that's a clear command of Scripture. I'm going to tell you, in Christ, God can cover all sins. And he does. Thankfully, graciously, wonderfully. When we blow it, his grace is sufficient for all things. But when we are now his, we seek to honor him and obey the things that he's told us. And so that is a clear commandment of Scripture. We're called to not have sex outside of the covenant of marriage. One man with one woman for life. That's not an optional like, ah, you can or you can't. It's up to you. No, we're called to be obedient to the things he calls us to. Again, we see that our body, our life, every bit of it belongs to him. And so I want to honor him with my body and my life and all of it. And so we seek to do that. Now, here's the thing that I want to close with as we as we think about holding those in their right balance. The Bible is very clear that we're going to have evidence of the grace of God in our life as we grow in that. That you're going to be changed, but you're not saved by your works. Thankfully, wonderfully, because we'd all be lost. But what the Bible does teach is as we see the grace of Jesus, as we are united with him and we're growing in that, we change. He changes us from one degree of glory to another and we seek to be obedient in all these ways. And so we're quick to cry legalism. You don't tell me what to do. I have this freedom in Christ. I get to do whatever I want. When it comes to something like sexual immorality, that's not legalism. That's called obedience. And God calls us to obedience. And as we're growing in that, we're going to grow in obedience in every area of our life. And sometimes we will make mistakes and we will sin and we will rebel and we repent and we confess and we find God's grace afresh each day. But it doesn't mean that we just go, oh, I get to do whatever I want. You have been bought with a price and you are not your own. And so we now get to honor God in our bodies every day. We get to show what he's like. And so we want to hold that tension of we are not saved by our works, but we now get to live this way in Jesus. And those two come together to magnify and glorify who he is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. That you love us, that you care for us, that you pursue us, that you save us by your grace through faith. And we thank you for that. We thank you for just the glorious good news that you've completed that work. We thank you that as you continue to bring us from one degree of glory to another and you begin to change us, that you bring us into fuller obedience. And we pray that that would be true for each one of us, that each day that we would turn back to you and see all of our lives as a sacrifice to you. And we pray that we would seek to honor you in those things. But I also pray that each person here, that we would rest in our identity, 
in knowing that we are loved and accepted completely and totally by what Jesus has done and nothing else. And for that, we just say thank you. We pray that that would be real to us, that, that would, we would see that anew this day. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.